there's a statement um, from Isaiah 30, 15 that's really interesting. It says, um, this is what the Lord God says, in returning and rest you will be saved, in quietness and in trust you'll, you'll, you'll find your strength. And that there's just a need to pause. It's interesting, even secular uh, writers like Arianna Huffington and others are saying you need to slow down, you need to have time to, to think, time to ponder, time to meditate, time to recharge. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast. I'm Ken Kennard, and I'm joined by Dr. Chip Roper and Sarah Evers. In this episode, we continued our discussion about the dilemmas we face at work, specifically the one dilemma that got the biggest response in our survey, work-life balance. People are constantly trying to manage the priorities at work in light of the demands at home, and it's not always easy. Our conversation considered the boundaries and responsibilities we find in God's Word regarding the proper place of work in our lives. Let's get into it. Well, hey, let's get started. Just welcome, everybody. It's great to have you here. And uh, we're, we're jumping into this, uh, this VOCA webinar. And it's really the first of a, an in-depth series where we're taking uh, the research we did in the, in the fall on dilemmas people are facing in their work, and we're taking the top five uh, one session at a time and really just doing a deep dive into it. And so today we've got our first dilemma and it's, you know, there's a lot going on in the workforce today. There's a lot of talk about the great resignation. There's a lot of talk about the economy and infl inflation and, you know, people are making more and their money's not going in far. So there's that whole thing, spending power, but neither spending power or the great resignation topped our list of work dilemmas. The number one dilemma that we discovered in our research was work-life balance and how to set boundaries between uh, your work and the other areas of your life. And so we did this research back in the fall, um, had, had tons of responses from people all over the world. And once we got past maybe 10 surveys, it, this was the trending, the trending issue. And it didn't matter how old people were, it didn't matter what gender they were, and it didn't matter what country they were from. It was really fascinating. And so people all over the world are struggling with this issue. 31% wrote it in in an open-ended question, which was our first question on our survey. And then when we gave them a chance to choose, you know, what's, what's one of your biggest challenges, 61% said work-life balance. So uh, we're gonna dive into this today and uh, looking forward to sharing with you some of our thoughts on it as we, as we begin and then hearing your questions. And um, also interested in seeing your grades, your self-grades there in that poll which we'll, we'll get to at some point uh, as we move along. But um, as we talk about this topic of work-life balance, as we just jump into it, um, one of the things we just want to acknowledge uh, right outside, it's complex, right at the outset, this is a complex topic. It, it lands on each of us a little bit differently. And there's a couple, couple reasons for that, a couple macro reasons. Um, and we were just sort of chatting about this, all of us here at the beginning. And, 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 and sometimes perhaps we just don't acknowledge enough that work has changed. Uh, when I was a boy, my dad went to work. He left the house with his lunch because uh, he did not have the ability to make his own lunch. My mother made his lunch for him and because um, men back then were really backward. They couldn't handle taking care of their own food and sustenance. And um, he went to lunch. I mean, he went to work. He left the house. He went to work. And you never talk to dad at work. My dad was an engineer, um, and he was, so he's a researcher, and he had an office and a lab that he worked in. And you, you just never talked to dad. Like, if mom had to call dad at work, it was either emergency or we were really in trouble. 
Like it was a big deal. And there was this dividing wall. And then dad would come home from work, you know, and there would be the how was work and then work was over. And now he was home. And there was this, this, this very defined boundary. I mean, this is a person with a PhD. He's a knowledge worker who has, you know, there's a very defined boundary between his work life and his home life. And, you know, for no, that's gone uh, for a lot of us. Um, and it was already gone before the pandemic. People, you know, because of technology, people were able to work um, all the time. I, you know, as, when I came to New York eight years ago, the company, the organization I worked for, everybody was working on Sunday night, you know, getting ready for the week, answering their email, checking. I'd never, I hadn't actually seen that before, but that was just normal. So, so we were already doing that, but the pandemic kind of accelerated that. The other thing that's kind of a change in work is that we can choose when we work. And, um, you know, some of us, you know, some of us work in the afternoon, we take the afternoon off because of family responsibilities, but then we come back later at night. It's like, in fact, in some places you'll see it's kind of a best practice to kind of clean up your email at some point in the evening after dinner. It's an expectation. And um, so that there's the sense of things are much more fluid. Our personal lives are coming to us on our devices, you know, in, at work and our work lives are coming to us at home. In fact, many of us are working from home all the time uh, these days. So work has changed. The other thing I just wanted to, to share before we bring, get the coaches involved and, and dive into a coaches roundtable is there kind of are different kind of workers. We have a different vantage point in the way work, way, way we sort of approach work. And I want to share four of them with you really quickly. There's, there's, and, then, and there's kind of the anti-work worker, and this is a mindset that's been around for quite a long time. And it's actually described as a movement in, in some of the business press, but it's just this idea that, you know, we want to work as little as possible and get on with the fun, fun things of life. And you know, work is a sort of a necessary evil. Back in the day, in the eight, in '80s rock, it was the Loverboy song "Working for the Weekend." Some of you can go look that up. But it was just that mindset's been around for a lot while. Another, but on the opposite end of the spectrum is sort of the I call it the overworked rising worker. You know, you're you're in the launch of your career, you're trying to establish a reputation, um, you know, prove that you can add value, keep up with all your peers, and you just, you probably feel like you're on, the treadmill's on high and you're kind of behind and you worry about that a lot. Another, another type of worker is what we call the divided worker. And um, you may be in a season of your life where other types of responsibilities um, limit your ability to, either your hours or your ability to go full speed with work. You know, and we've, we were talking about family responsibilities with children, you know, that we've got friends and connections there, they have a parent to care for, and uh, that really shifts the kind of landscape of their responsibilities. <clears throat> and then a fourth group of worker, I, I just call them the in-demand, high-capacity worker. You know, they're not trying to establish themselves, they've already proven, you know, some of their skills, their market acumen, that kind of thing. And they frankly would say to you, if they were honest, they just have too many options. There's just too many people, and a lot of them are actually monetized, and it's not about money, it's just about, there's just too many people vying for their time and they don't know how to choose it all. So work is, this whole topic of work-like balance is complex. It's complex because, you know, work has changed and it's complex because we're all different kind of workers and we come to this from different, different perspectives. Ken and Sarah, what would you like to add or what do you think we should point out in this this section as we set this up. Yeah, I think the 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 fact that the way we work has changed that that's seeping or there's a there's sort of this ebb and flow of work life, personal life, 
you know, that works for our advantage. Um, but if we don't have good boundaries to manage it, where um, the details of our personal life and our personal responsibilities seep into when we want to be working and vice versa, it can get pretty confusing um, knowing which hat to wear and how do I respond to certain situations. And, you know, I, I don't want to respond to a colleague with my parental hat on <laughs> um, and I'm not going to collaborate with my daughter in a collegial way like I would with my colleagues. So there can be some, some blurring of the lines there. I don't know. I think sometimes Ken and I can probably use a little motherly rebuke. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. Lots of people would agree with you, Chip. Um, I I, I I like what you said, Sarah, and I was thinking about someone who I know that before the pandemic was very clear about work boundaries. I don't work after this time. And, you know, if I'm coming to work, I'm fine with being present, but don't ask me to flex it all. That same person during the pandemic responded with, oh, I can work at night. Why not? I'm not going anywhere. I can't do anything else. And what I learned he really wanted was choice. He wanted to be in charge. As long as it was his decision to work late into the night, he was okay with it. But that was kind of his way of of putting that on. And And I think you know, back to your earlier point, Chip, you know, your dad's boundaries were really given to him. Why did he go to work? Why did he have to be at work? Why did he stay at work all day? Why did the culture say you don't talk to your um, children while you're working? Well, that was all provided to him. He didn't set those boundaries. But when those boundaries are gone, now what do we have? It's not a lack of boundaries completely. It's now kind of up to us to negotiate those boundaries. And so I find myself kind of making micro negotiations with employees and with clients and with family, having to constantly figure out where are the lines? Where are the boundaries? How do we set them? How do we negotiate them? And that's a lot of extra work. It's it exhausting. Is. It's choice fatigue. Yeah. We have choice. We have to we choose all these micro choices. Uh, what, what, how am I going to spend my time? Yes or no? All that thing. It, it is exhausting. And I wonder if it's exasperate, exasperate a little bit because if we we have this memory of how our parents worked and we just, in their minds, it's kind of like the Polaroid of this is what work looks like and it just doesn't look like that anymore. Well, uh, yeah, your your story about your dad and um, at work and you only reached out to dad at work if there was an emergency or things were really bad. Like, the, the you know, just wait till your dad gets home. That refrain... You know, I get a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. when, you know, when I think about that and those kinds of um, cautions, we don't say anymore because Dad is home. He's just in a different room, <laughs> um, and and Mom's home too. So it's there is um, the the challenge that we've got to navigate. And you know, my dad, our dads didn't have the technology that allowed for their frequent interruptions that we have all the time. And um, and I think I think we're trying to respond to that with these do not disturb these focus settings that the iPhone has released. Um, but it's it's reflecting the problem that we're all trying to manage with these choices we make all day. Yeah, I, and I'm question for Chip, did your father on vacation ever sneak away and work for two hours or work in the evening? Um, my guess is no, because he's not at work, right? It, it prob- Probably not. And, and But have you ever been on vacation or have any of us been on vacation and thought, oh, I just need to check some email or I just need to call in with this colleague or I just need to move this project forward. Next thing you know, you're not on vacation anymore. Yeah, my dad never worked on vacation. Now, if he'd have been in a sales job, he might have. 
you know, like he was a technical job. He ran, he was the head of research in a lab and you really couldn't do his work. I mean, today he could have had, you know, access to files and a bunch of things and done, done desk work uh, from anywhere. But back, back when he was working, like he had to work, he had to be in the lab. Um, and he, but I bet you salespeople were checking, you know, I bet you there were some sales people in sales back in the day, they were sneaking out to the, to the phone booth at the head of the lake or wherever to check in with clients and some things like that. They probably were on vacation, but uh, that's just not the, the picture that a lot of us have. So let's, but the great thoughts. So we just wanted to touch into like kind of what's, what's going on. This is a, this is a, it's a complex topic. Where do we head with it? Um, I, we wanted to start uh, in terms of an answer. I mean, I don't know if this is an answer, but we just wanted to, we wanted to kind of deconstruct some ideas that are not helpful. You know, there's some there's some thinking that we have about work-life balance that makes it even harder uh, to get our heads and lives around this. So, and the first is the terminology itself. We don't like the term work-life balance, work-life. Don't like that at all. We think it's really misleading. It, it implies that work is not part of your life. And work is part of your life. So is your family. So is your spiritual pursuits so is your hobby your hobbies or your family commitments or whatever you do in your community it's all part of your life and you know there there was an there's a there's this kind of duality that it actually goes all the way back to the greek philosophers who really they really thought being enlightened meant you shouldn't have to ex do any kind of labor whatsoever so they really minimized the dignity of work and um it's just this idea that there are two kind of compartments and it's probably fed in some ways by our leisure culture that we, you know, we have our work and then we want to get to go have fun and we really separate those. Um, and we, you know, we, we think that uh, in, in contrast to this idea that they're two separate things, um, first of all, we have, a whole, we have one life and has many of these components and we think that God really, he blesses work and he was a worker from creation from the very beginning described as a worker. Uh, you know, Jesus said, my father's still working and you know, work is good and it can obviously get out of hand, but it's a good thing and it's a good part of your life. Uh, a second idea is, um, it, it, well, it's kind of a two heads, it's a coin with two sides to it. It's the undervaluing and overvaluing of work. And, um, you know, we see this in some of the anti-work kind of movement. It's a real movement, by the way. It's, it's different parts of Europe and even in Asia, just people just saying, I'm out, I'm never going to work again. Like. Um, I don't want to work. And, um, you know, that. so there's this undervaluing of work and the dignity of work. And then there's also this overvalue of work where we can never stop, we can never rest. And it's really interesting. It's There's a phrase from Exodus 34, 21. It says, six days you work, you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And it's like we either we either miss that on one, one side or the other. You know, we just, we want to put in our 20 hours and uh, spend the rest of the time playing in some form or something else or you know we never stop we never rest we never take a full day of just for rest reflection uh, for worship for spiritual centering uh, for relational recharge uh, so that's 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 number two undervaluing overvaluing work um, a third is the lie that we can have it all uh, the lie that we can have it all this is pretty big I think for us um, and I really believe in the sort of advice economy that's a big part of, of our world that there, there's, this implicit, there's this implicit belief or conviction that 
if you just get the formula of your life right, everything will work and you can have it all. You can have the smashing career, you can have the exemplary kids, you can have the amazing marriage, you can have this huge impact on your community, you can have really great, lasting, deep friendships, and, and you, you can have it all. And you know, a number of the people that we surveyed um, to help us with the content of this piece, one of the things they say, you just really can't have it all. You, at least you can't have it all at the same time. It, you know, there's, there's part of the biblical idea of our humanity is that we have limits. And uh, I think of Psalm 90 where Moses says, you know, God teach us to number our days. Like we're, we face, we're going to, we're going to, our lives are going to end and it's like, we can't do everything. And there's amount, there's some frustration and toil and struggle in life. Like, help us figure this out, God, because we have limits. And I think that kind of contrasts that idea that we can have it all. Uh, another, another thing that doesn't help you or me at all is the comparison trap. You know, Sarah, I think you'd love to quote this. You say, Theodore, it's a Theodore Roosevelt quote that uh, comparison is the thief of joy. And there's this sense of, like, you're looking. I just, when I think of a client I had and all her friends... We're graduating from college, and they had already like posted all their new jobs that they were going to have uh, on on whatever um, social media platform she was thinking of. I don't know what it was because um, I'm old, and I still think of Facebook and I think of LinkedIn as a social media platform. Um, so you know that's just me. But anyway, she was she was she just felt so behind because she wasn't sure what she was going to do uh, in graduation. And you know we helped her kind of figure that out and map a plan. But the bottom line was part of her pain was that all my friends have this figured out and I don't and she was comparing them to others and and we are constantly uh, we are constantly confronted with presented with these amazing stories of success uh, of people that have achieved you know really significant things they have lots of money they may have a certain level of fame and, and what we really we often fail to realize is the math like that we are just talking about now, all the people in your feed are really a very, 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 very small percentage of human beings. Like, and most people don't have lives like that. And so there's just, it's, it's fear missing out. It's comparison. It robs us of joy. And there's a story uh, where in, in John, the, chat, the last chapter of John, where Peter is doing, playing the comparison game with his friend and uh, fellow disciple John. And Jesus just says, well, what's it to me? Or what's it to you what I do with John? Like, you just need to follow me. And there's this sense that God can provide for us a center that frees us from the comparison trap. So that's number four was the comparison trap. Number five, and uh, the last one, for those of you who were worried about this going on and on and on and on and on, because um, we're going to get to some solutions in just a minute. But um, the last thing I think that, that can kind of trip us up is the once and done mindset. And that's the idea and it, it kind of goes back to that that for, uh, that opening statement I made here that if you just get the formula right, everything's going to be fine. And it can kind of feed into this notion that you just fix it, you just you just set it, and you forget it. Like you're just going to find the right formula for work-life balance, or I would actually call it right-sizing work. You know, right-sizing work in contrast to the other things in your life. You're going to find a formula, and it's going to work forever, and you're not going to have to deal with this. I I think that you know the people that we've journeyed with and in our own lives, it's like you. That's not true. This is one of these, as one of my old friends used to say, it's a lifer. It's an, an issue that just kind of cycles back over and over again, especially as, as seasons in your life change. 
as job dynamics change, uh, as economies change, as the ways of working change, and you just have to kind of throw it open uh, and reassess. And I, I think there, uh, there's, a, there's some phrases at the end of Psalm 139 where, where, where David prays, like, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any, anything out of alignment with me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's kind of like we need to be, there's a life of perpetual examination and you know, remembering what God has done and reassessing where we're going. I think that's really encouraged in the scripture. It's not a once and done. It's more of a dynamic conversation. And if we can free ourselves up from the trap of thinking, oh, my, my life is out of balance and I must be failing. And then we just kind of shut down and get piled under shame and guilt instead of just saying, no, 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 things have changed and it's just time to reassess. And that's really healthy and normal. So the once and done mindset doesn't help us either. Sarah and Ken, what doesn't help you when it comes to this whole topic of right-sizing work? I, I really like that last point about the once and done mindset. I think we have this tendency, especially as Americans, to, to think that we can figure it out once we have. We're kind of done figuring and now we just need to implement. Um, I'm, I'm reflecting on my own journey with work. And I think this idea of seasons or periods of time where certain things are true, you know, when I was um, starting a new business, it was definitely not balanced, right? I mean, it just, it felt like it had to be um, really full-time, really immersed for a season. And communicating with my wife about that and coming to terms with that and figuring out how we were gonna be with that um, was a lot like the conversation we had when my wife said, I'm having this baby and I'm not able to do anything else right now. And <clears throat> I feel like the shoe was on the other foot, but the situation was the same. It was not a once and done mindset. It was a chance to reevaluate. Okay, the baby's coming. This is a fact. Let's adjust to it. And we don't have to adjust for all time. We just need to adjust to the season. What does the next six months or year or whatever look like? And, and, and um, thankfully, the kids kept going through other seasons and it was kind of a joy to see it as an adventure instead of something that we thought we solved and now, uh-oh, what's happening now? Yeah, there a couple things occurred to me when you're talking, Chip. I, the, um, the, the last one you talked about, that once and done mindset, you talked about how the formula changes. Um, and I, I'm not a mathematician. I'm the daughter of a mathematician, but I am not a mathematician. Um, but it occurred to me in a mathematical way that the variables change in that formula. Oh my gosh, I love that. That was like an aha, because um, they certainly do, right? The, 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 the formula is gonna change, the variables change, and so there's a lot of negotiating that has to happen, as, as Ken just shared. Um, but I was reminded of a, of a client story um, that came up when you're talking about number one, how the terminology doesn't serve us because it puts work and life in this dichotomy, it pits them against each other. And then you also had that, um, you can have it all but not at the same time trap. Uh, and I was reminded of a client who um, was very excited about um, a job that she got right before COVID hit. And um, when COVID shut everything down, she lost her chance to go to the industry conference that she was so excited about finally going to. It was a conference she had wanted to go for years, finally got this job, they were going to send her. Well, they're going this year and she's super excited about it and the travel dates fall over a child's birthday. So she's torn, right? She's longed for this for years. It's a child's birthday. It's a parent. She doesn't want to miss that. So her husband says, let's take the kids to the conference. 
and we'll stay in a hotel and you go to your conference and we'll have great family time. She reaches out to me, um, torn, like, is, is this okay? Um, because it's almost this disbelief of, of could, could we have work time and family time at the same time? Um, just sort of, you know, are they pitted against each other? Is it okay? Do I need to keep them separate? There's just so much confusion uh, around, around how much of that can happen. What did you tell her? Um, <laughs> well, we were in a really good space and I said, I'm sorry, is your husband supporting your career by offering to spend money and take time away from his work to bring the family so you can go to the conference you've been longing for for years? And she was like, oh, when you put it that way, it is kind of a good deal, isn't it? I'm like, mm. well, you know, what, what would work for you? <laughs> it's a great deal, making all the husbands look bad. That Absolutely. Guy, yeah. I, t I told her, look at, look at how he's moving towards you. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there, there is this pressure of, um, you know, am I doing enough in each sphere? Um, or I, I, am I doing a good enough job? in each of my spheres. If I, because I have so many spheres of life contributing, can I really do anything well? Um, do you, you, on that point, uh, Sarah, do you ever feel like when you're doing a great job with one of those spheres, you feel guilty or you've abandoned or you're not, you're, 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 you're therefore necessarily underperforming? Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Personally, I, I feel that. And I, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm regularly evaluating, um, you know, do I need to set my phone aside um, at certain times with the family? And um, it, is it okay to tell my family that they can't interrupt me when I need to get some work done? Like, how much of this negotiating do we constantly have to do with each other? Um, and yeah, so it, I mean, that's, it's hard. It is hard. It is hard. All right, well, let's move on to some, some I don't know, it's not, not going to ice the solution, but let's just talk about some practices and and beliefs that we think um, can help us get to a solution. And obviously we just said that you never stay at a solution. It's something that's uh, adjusted with some regularity over the course of your, of your life. And, um, but here's some thoughts we have. Um, the first is to examine your heart and what's really driving you. Um, and this uh, comes from Proverbs 4.32, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. And it's, you know, kind of the, the heart is like your inner soul, inner life. It's your mind, emotions, desires. It's your inner world. It's not just your passion as we would say it today, but it's kind of the core of who you are. And, you know, it's, it's important to ask yourself, what is driving you to do more? You know, to work more. Is it, because it could be, there could be good motives to work more. There could be, a sense like Ken, when you were saying you're starting your business, like it's just, it's never gonna, it's ne the rocket is not gonna get off the launch pad unless you expend some extra energy. It's just, that's where the business is. And if you get it off the launch pad, it's gonna provide opportunities and flexibility in the future. So it's just kind of, that's, that's the deal. Uh, there's a sense of stewardship. There could be a sense of even service that, that is driving you. Um, and you know, I think the idea that we're providing for our families actually gets abused. Um, at a different point, but it's a real it's a real responsibility before God to provide for your family. It is, and right. and so that's that's part of the that's part of the deal. And um, so this could be some really good heart motives for doing more or working a little extra. But there's also some not so there's not some pleasant ones. You know, there's 
there's a sense of, I call it the self-securitization project. Um, and it's the Tower of Babel mindset of work, which you may have heard us talk about in the past. That's Genesis chapter 11. And, it, you know, they built the big tower. And it, one of the things it says about that is really telling. It says they, the reason they did it was to make a name for themselves and to present, prevent themselves from being scattered all over the earth. And it's, it, it was all about taking care of themselves. And it, they, were, they were living like there was no God, no Father, like Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, who was going to take care of them. They were, they, so it's a self-securitization project. And then there's just going to be pride, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm doing more, accomplishing more, and it makes me feel better than all the people who are behind, you know. And, and so there, there could, we could go on and on and on about that. But just why? Why do you want to do more? Ask yourself that question. Number two, and Ken, you already kind of referred to this idea, but it's in embracing the season you're in. And seasons change. And Ecclesiastes 3 talks about there's a time and a season for everything. You know, and I, I had a chance when I was um, early in my career, I got to spend a day with my congressman in Washington, D.C., and I got to shadow him. And he was, um, he was an empty nester. And, you know, he starts at 7 every day, and he works till 9 every night. And when he's in D.C., he, he literally only has time for walking meetings with his staff. They, they say, we're going to walk. And then everybody just walked. It was, it was, it was fascinating and, and um, really pretty cool. Um, but he said, you know, Chip, I couldn't have done this job when I had young kids. I don't know how the people who with young kids do it. I, I would have just been out. I would have been completely, you know, a non-presence in the lives of my children. And, you know, when his kids were little, he was actually a school teacher. And then he was a local politician. And then he went to D.C. So, and. I'm not telling you that that's what has to happen in this season for you. That that's just what his take was on it. But understand the season you're in, and um, and and what what is called for in this season, because it will pass. It will change. You know, when my kids were little, I was taking them to sports and I was their coach. My kids are all gone, and now I work a lot more. Actually, my wife and I both do, and it, it's not it's not hurting anybody. You know, it's okay because we have the capacity to do that right now. So embrace your season. The third. The third idea that came actually from one of our, our kind of editorial, uh, members of our editorial panel, was this idea of clarifying your mission. You know, and this is, this is, not, this is not a quick assignment, friends. This is the kind of thing where through self-reflection and counsel with people you trust, you really come up with a sense of what is, what is my purpose? Like what are kind of, what's the unique impact uh, that I can produce through my talents, skills, and experience? And um, there's this phrase from Second Thessalonians chapter one, where Paul just says, "Like I'm praying that God's going to make you worthy of His calling, and that by His power He's going to bring to fruition all the good purposes in your heart." Like, you know, when you just like what? It's a combination of passion and ability and skills. But like, what's your sense of purpose? Like, why? Why do you think you might be here? And you say, "Well, I don't know." And you know, a lot of us don't take the time to really think through that. It doesn't have to be. You know, it doesn't have to, it's not going to be published in the New York Times. It's just a, just a giving your sense of clarity of like, what's really important to you? And, um, and why are you here? So a bigger sense of purpose can give us some clarity. Uh, that's kind of a macro thing. It may be more of a one, maybe a one, I don't know if it's a once and done, but it's, it is more of a thing where you focus on it, you do under, you articulate it, and then you, you run, you run with that, at least for a, a while, at least for a season. But, a fourth idea, which is in contrast to the a sense of mission, is 
blocking out time for reflection on a regular basis, like that you're cultivating self-awareness and you're examining your heart and um, you're, you're making time to figure out, yeah, am, am, are the components of my life, am I right-sizing my work, am I, are things out of balance? Is there something God's calling me to that I'm neglecting right now? Like that's that's something that we need to we need to ponder on a very very frequent basis. There's a there's a statement um, from Isaiah thirty fifteen that's really interesting. It says, um, "This is what the Lord God says: In returning and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and in trust, you'll 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 find your strength." And that there's just a need to pause. It's interesting. Even secular uh, writers like Arianna Huffington and others are saying you need to slow down. You need to have time. To, to think, time to ponder, time to meditate, time to recharge. It's you know th they'll get a lot more views perhaps on their their blog posts, but it's the same idea and it's been captured in scripture for thousands of years. We need to slow down. We need to think. We need to assess. And we need to do that with God. Uh, here's a fifth one: is super practical. Talk to your boss. I know it sounds. Some of you are saying that's an awful idea. No, talk to your boss. Um, and here's here's a little biblical wisdom on that. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. I don't know about the bone breaking piece. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know where that goes. Basically, what it's saying is persistence and um, tactfulness really can build momentum and influence. And as we talked to some very senior leaders, they they said. People are struggling with getting it all done. They need to talk to their boss. Not, not so much about um, you know, not asking for a holiday, but figuring out what's really important to that boss. What results are they really looking for? What kind of deliverables really matter? How's it fit into the overall um, plan for maybe the month or the year? And and figuring out what's real. It's about prioritization, and it's and it's trusting whoever is your upline to to give you some clarity about what's important to them. And it's totally appropriate, uh, at least I, th I feel this way as a, as a person who's been in a supervisory role uh, quite a bit over the years. It's totally appropriate for you to go to your boss and say, well, I got these 10 things I'm working on. What's most important? And, you know, or when do you really need this done? Because a, a lot of times we really do put expectations on us that aren't real. And, um, or we just want to cross it off our list because we want to clear up some mental space and it, we need our boss, we need to have a good relationship with our boss to help bring clarity to that. Two more, uh, and then we'll process this a little bit and get to your questions. But um, the sixth idea is to rigorously improve your productivity and you know, to make sure you're really not wasting time. And there's some studies that suggest we waste a lot of time at work. There's even one that suggests we spend like an, an eight hour day worth of time at work on our phones with doing whatever we're doing on our phones that has nothing to do with work. And, um, you know, and just like work can creep into your family time, family can creep into your work time. It, there's just, it's, it's porous. It goes both ways. And there's a term in the Old Testament and in, in the Proverbs, the writing of Proverbs that I really love around this is the term diligence. And when you dig into this term, and it's mentioned in Proverbs 12, 27, and Proverbs 21, 5, um, when you dig into this term, it means to cut away the extraneous and to focus on what's important. So it's really about a committed, it's about being committed to a course. 
And so again, that involves some of that reflection and that time and everything, but it's, it's diligence and it's really figuring out what needs to be done, getting it done. And, um, you know, there's all, like Sarah mentioned earlier, there's think, ways you can do this. Certainly turn off notifications on your computer and your phone. Um, you know, it's chopping up your, your mental focus. Um, you gain control, gain control over your time. That's this biblical idea of diligence. We obviously can talk more about this. Um, oh, I was wrong. There's more. There's two more. Uh, and they really actually, the last two go together, seven and eight. Strategically say yes and trust God enough to say no. You know, what we say yes to and what we say no to really determines um, what, we're, what we're pouring ourselves into. And, um, you know, when you've sorted through some things, you've got a sense of life, mission, and purpose, and, you know, you know what season it is, well, jump in. You know, whatever your hand finds to do, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, do it with all your heart. Uh, but then there's the other side of it, that we should be able to trust God enough to say no. Um, that there's, we don't have to be the Messiah for all the people in our world, that we can't do everything, there are limitations. And, you know, the yes and the no, I mean, at the macro level, that, that certainly applies to the, the job or jobs that you, where you work, you know, that's a, we get to, we get to decide that at a certain degree in our culture. Um, and so why I need to make a living and I say, yep, I do too. Um, but we, we get to say yes and we get to say no to where we work and the culture we work in and that kind of thing. And you may be surprised, again, it's got to come through that honest, open communication with your supervisor, but maybe some of the things you're saying yes to, you really don't need to say yes to, or, or maybe you know, just showing up for a little while is enough and you don't need to go to the whole conference or the whole meeting. You know, you just need to have a presence. And I, I think there really are times when we, we, we bring a lot of expectations on ourselves that are somewhat imaginary. We don't, we don't clarify them. Uh, the other thing that I, I know Ken and Sarah have seen this too is that in some industries, um, you really are just expected to work all the time. You know, and I, I've got a friend who has two, two young son, two sons that are starting out in finance. And the first two years of finance are just absolutely brutal. It's 110 hours a week. And if, if you want to be in finance, that's what you, in New York anyway, that's what you do. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong um, if that's what they're called to do. And, but that's just the way it is. And you could say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to do other things or God, it'd be better to say, I really know that God has called me to do some other things. He's given me some clarity on that and I'm not going to do that. But it, it's just, you know, again, that's a, that's an example of knowing the season, knowing what you're saying yes to, knowing what you're saying no to. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, it's just a, and you're, we're constantly going to be doing that. And sometimes we don't have the courage to say no. Uh, or sometimes we don't feel the freedom to say yes. Like, well, this is a great job. And it's going to be like Sarah's client who just, I mean, her husband has rolled out the red carpet for her to enjoy her conference. And she just needs to just exhale and say yes. And, and, and love the fact that there's flexibility and that that can work. So those are some ideas about a solution. Um, and I don't know, I, I, maybe we can uh, look at the poll results even as we, uh, as we jump into comments from Ken and Sarah. We've got some, we got some B, people that gave themselves a B rating. That's pretty good. Um, C and some honest, the only honest people are the Ds, I think. I'm just <laughs> Guys, what do you think? What do you think about some of these solutions, and what do you think about kind of that spread of, of, of where people are are on this call? Yeah, well, that um, the two sides of the coin with those last two points, number seven, number eight, about um, strategically say yes and trust God enough to say no. 
it just, you know, the, the chorus in the back of my head, it was Matthew 5:37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That gives you the boundary and the freedom to be fully present where you are. Because what I find myself constantly falling into the trap is I'll say yes to two different things at the same time. <laughs> and then I'm not fully present there because if I'm with my family or with friends, I'm also on my phone engaging with um, a client or a work issue. When um, So I'm not fully present helping my client and I'm not fully present with my family. And sometimes I need to take that time out and go deal with the work thing. And sometimes I need to take that time out and have that work thing pause um, because I'm not fully present anywhere. I'm not saying yes and I'm not saying no. Oh, that's a that's a great point. And it just requires you again to start setting those boundaries like we talked about before. Those boundaries are not being provided to you, Sarah. So you have to develop this muscle that previous generations didn't have to exercise in the same way. Um, for me, I was thinking about that talking to your boss. This actually happened to me this week. In this story, I was the boss and I looked at one of my employees who looked a little disturbed or anxious or upset. And I said, what's going on? He said, well, I'm really upset because I'm spending this time on this work and I know it's really important, but I've got this other thing in my home life that I have to accomplish and I can't get them both done. And I said, well, what are you, what are you doing at work that you think is so urgent? And he said, well, you said you needed this and it was really important. And I said, well, I don't need that right away. I need that next week. Um, so I'm not sure why it's so urgent. And the second part of what you're doing, I actually have other people that could pitch in and help out if you can't. I just need to, to you to communicate with me so we know whose plate it's on. And he said, oh, well, he, did, he didn't realize that I had other resources. He really wasn't clear about the deadlines and how, you know, how urgent this was. And it was, you know, you look at that and you say, well, that's a pretty simple conversation to have. Glad we had it. But it made me think, well, how many times are we assuming or we think we have our boss's priorities in mind, or maybe what we know is what the priorities used to be, but not, not that we are now after his plans changed or her plans changed. So I, I feel like being in touch with our boss here is not only good advice for helping us make this balance, it's also good spiritually. You know, connect with our boss in heaven and say, what are your real priorities for me? Am, am I really doing the things that are urgent and necessary for me, not someone else? Or do you have someone else that can do this and it's not needed? That same principle, I think, really applies there too. Yeah, I like that. I think sometimes, you know, I think there is a hesitancy sometimes to do that, have that boss conversation. And, um, and frankly, like we need to be, we may need to acknowledge that some bosses don't handle that conversation very well. Like, you know, I've, I've I've had bosses like that. I've seen some of my clients when they go to talk to their boss about even just what's important, even just having, even just finding time when their boss is willing to talk to them about what's important, uh, really becomes, it becomes really like they just get the brush off and um, their bosses are overwhelmed and they're not, they don't even maybe even know the answer. Um, so, so there, there can be, it can be tricky, it can be difficult, but it's, it's certainly. It's probably more often than not. I mean, I know as a as a as a soup person that's had that role that it's the questions I get from my team help me. They help me find clarity, and they help me prioritize, and they help me articulate those things. And a lot of them are in my head, um, but they just they just force it, and it's really so it becomes good. It becomes a clarifying for everybody, and I think that in, in the main, that's a, it's a it's a valuable 
you should pursue it no matter what. But in the main, it's gonna it can be it can end up being a really good thing. Yeah, and I think about that that um, potential solution of talking with your boss. I think that matches really well with uh, number two of embracing your season. You know, oftentimes when I think, well, embrace your season, I think season of or stage of life, right? I think I think family life. Uh, but I have a client right now who is kind of pushing back against the fact that she's in a crazy season of work because somebody else left, one of her peers left, and she's been given his responsibilities to lead. And this is, she's now leading two departments. And uh, the department that he left was a mess. And so she's got to clean it up and figure it out and restructure. And this is a crazy season. Um, And it's a whole lot more intense than she ever thought it was. But she's doing the work of constantly checking in with her boss to make sure that she's working on the most um, priority, the, the highest priority aspects of the project. But it's an intense season until they hire somebody to take over her colleague's job. Yeah, and I think we need the flexibility to, well, she has to push back, I guess, you know, and, and it's just, it's not an end, she's not, none of us are an endless reservoir of time and capacity. And on the other hand, it's like, there are those times when it's just, it's going to require more and that's okay you know farmers used to have harvest season they worked worked a lot more during harvest than they did in the winter when nothing was going on and that's always goes back to that i've asked some i've asked some clients about time for reflection and i find that about nine out of ten don't regularly practice that um and i i want to practice it more than i do but i I see the importance of it it's difficult to discipline yourself to really take time to do it well it's, it's, there's a cost. It's another thing, a part of your life. Remember you were saying right-sizing work. It's another thing in that circle of what's going on in your life to, to put in there. But uh, wow, such a valuable thing to come out with clarity about your purpose and, and re, you know, a chance to right-size where things are going. Yeah, that, that reflection thing is really important. And in different seasons of life, I've done a better job than um, at other times. And I, I, I used to keep a, um, a written journal um, and I would every day sort of write down what I accomplished the day before and what I hope to accomplish that day. Um, and it was just sort of a time to sort of take that in prayer before the Lord of what, what are my priorities for the day? Um, and then at the end of the day, I would make a couple of notes to remind me the next day. Well, then I tried to take it all digital and I had a really good system that was working for me digitally. Um, but I'm missing the, the thoughtful reflection part. I mean, it's different for me when I handwrite it versus when I type it into all my different apps. So I'm, I'm in this stage where I'm trying to think what helps me with that reflection in addition to my personal devotional life, what kind of work reflection do I need? So, you know, I've got my new journal because I'm on the cusp of trying to go back into that um, handwritten reflection season. Great. Well, let's have some questions. What would you guys like us to say more about or um, what kind of issues is this raising for you? We decided to throw a menu at you today as opposed to just one one idea. We think it's complex, and um, we'd love to have you direct the conversation. What do you think? And you can chat that in, of course, or you can uh, unmute and talk to us. Imagine that. Nicholas. Nicholas. Hi. 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 Good. Um, quick question. I've noticed that I think currently is a good example of that. Um, I've, I've used to be uh, a lot more active church-wise. Um, because I felt that I have more time. As work has become significantly busier, I've uh, consciously decided to reduce my amount of participation in church. And while I consider that necessary, to be honest, I don't see too many ways around that. Um, I do see that I'm losing, I don't know if this is most accurate, but I I do feel that I'm losing spiritual health because of it. Hmm. 
and I wonder if the concept of balance and not everything uh, at the same time applies to that as well, where maybe that's something that, I, that we should be okay compromising that our relationship with God or other aspects of our spirituality is going to be low for some time until we rebalance in some other way. I, I'm curious. I have a couple of follow-ups on that question. Thanks for sharing that, Nicholas. I'm wondering um, what kinds of things you used to do at your church and like what signs are you seeing that it's having you know, focusing more on, on, on your on your work um, what, what kind of signs are you seeing that that's having a negative impact on you spiritually I mean those are really personal questions you may not want to answer them but I, I'm just trying to kind of peel back the layers here on this um, church wise I was mainly available uh, whether it be to run a bible study or to help out on a Sunday or, or to follow up with people text a lot follow up and how people were doing especially during the pandemic um as i got busy i i formally started to kind of resign on certain things that i was doing um and the impact of it um while i think that more of my personal time of bible reading and praying has been steady and not necessarily come at the expense of this change um i do feel that putting extra focus on work is not as rewarding as putting focus on something that theoretically has no ROI. That's real. Well, thanks for sharing that. Well, first of all, just why I was asking those questions is that sometimes church, you know, with all the, our, our, I used to be a pastor, so I can, I'll own all this, but just our, our appetite for volunteer hours is, could be pretty excessive and, and can actually just burn people out. So, you know, I think that that's, that's a reality. It sounds like though, for you, you had a very relational, approach to your engagement in your church that was really feeding you and that you were able to have spiritually significant interactions with people um and you know i so i don't i don't have an easy answer for that i you know i i think that um there's a lot of possibilities one is that you just have to you do have to sideline this for a little while i think you know you're launching a business and that's kind of what you're doing so that's it's kind of a unique season and you one of the things you can do with unique seasons, because my wife says it's oh you say it's always it's just the season, so um, is you can timestamp it. You can say you know for for this year I'm going to focus on getting this thing going, and if it's not going, I'm going to have to look for another alternative because you know I can't be in this all-consuming mode for for all time. The other thing I would just say is God might be just using some of these things that are stirring in you, not necessarily to say um, you know you should change your career, but He just may be using them to say well. You know, maybe part of my, why, how he's made you is that you're a guy that just longs to connect with people relationally and keep tabs on them, care, and provide some sort of presence in their lives. And you, you just—that's who you are. That's who he's made you to be. And you have to. Part of that right-sizing work is making sure there's some space uh, or a context for that um, as you go forward. But it's a great question. You guys want to add anything to that? We'll pile on Nicholas. Will you? You did ask, so it's not unsolicited advice. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I say take that to your time of reflection and say, what value has God placed in me that I'm not honoring? And what are the options for honoring it? Is this the right season to honor it? Or is this to something to save for later? And that requires real discernment. And that's why there's no easy answer for all people. But if it's niggling at you, if it's like, oh, this is really important to me. I'm not honoring it now. 
um, decide if it needs to be incorporated now or maybe you're, you queue it up for the next season. Yeah, I think that the time stamping part, Chip, that you mentioned is could be really key here. Otherwise, we, we can easily slip into um, this extreme way of working or extreme way of living, right? Like when the pandemic hit, I had a client who didn't have a day off for three months and she was working 18 hour days. It was just chaos. And what she noticed was that in her organization, that level of intensity was becoming the norm. Well, that's crisis, right? And crisis was becoming chronic. So I think we need to um, put timestamps on things and give ourselves margin to, if, if things are extreme, it's extreme for a short period of time. And then we need to give ourselves a breather to reflect and, and reevaluate what we want in life and uh, with our life and with our work. That's good. Well, guys, we're getting to the, the end of the hour here. And, um, you know, I, I think this is something that all of us are dealing with. This, this idea of how we right-size work, it's dynamic. Um, it's, and there's some individual, as individuals, we experience this differently in terms of our temperament, capacity, season, those types of things. But you know, really there's some, there's some great anchors in scripture to kind of guide us in processing this over and over again and finding seasons, I think, where we do have a sense that, yeah, I, we have some peace. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing for now, for now. And I, I really, we believe that, that, that all of us can work our way um, with counsel, with scripture, with practice, and with community to a place where we have a sense of peace that what we're doing for now is what God wants us to do. And every, everything, every possible, every possible engagement, every solution starts with a conversation with one of us. And uh, we're, we're ready and eager uh, to hear what's going on in your work life and how we might be a resource to you. So thanks for joining us today. If you're looking for support and counsel for your dilemmas at work, reach out to us for coaching. We would love to help you find and apply God's wisdom to your work life. Our clients consistently report a sense of relief and clarity as they work with a faith-based certified coach. You can sign up for an initial coaching conversation at vocacenter.org consult. This conversation was recorded in front of a live virtual audience, and you can be a part of that audience. Register to join us and shape the conversation with your questions. Sign up for the next live webinar at vocacenter.org slash webinar.